0: Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I want to start by telling you this: we need each other. We need the wisdom and the passion between the generations. I would start by telling you that that I love what I do. I, I am one of the most privileged pastors on the planet. I get to do what I love to do, and I get to do it with people that I am absolutely crazy about. I love you. I love being with you. I love serving you. I love our staff. I'm deeply committed to our staff and think that we have a tremendous staff. I'm so lucky to be able to do what I do, and I'm able to do what I do because of those in the previous generation that believed in me, that invested in me. I know that I'm standing on the shoulders of great men and women who've gone before me. I I have told this story before, I'll tell it again. The way I got into ministry is kind of humorous. I grew up in a great church. It was the First Church of Christ in Florence, Kentucky. I was baptized by a guy named Wally Rendell. and If you're steeped in Christian church tradition, you've heard the name Wally Rendell. He's kind of famous. Wally was our preacher when we first moved to Florence, and then shortly after we moved, Wally was called to the, a, a very large church in Lexington, Kentucky, and served there for many, many years after he left us. And we were left wondering, what many churches are left wondering when the preacher leaves, now what are we going to do? They went and brought in a man named L.D. Campbell, and L.D. Campbell literally changed my life. I am where I am today, and I am who I am today in large part because of L.D. Campbell. And it was one of the great joys of my life to be able to share him with you during our dedication service back in March. I, um, I had a youth pastor that L.D. hired, and his name was Doug Newhouse. Uh, Doug was a youth pastor before a lot of churches had youth pastors. There weren't a lot of churches that had them back in the day And uh, some of the things that Doug did with us was cutting edge. I mean, things that we're doing now, Doug was doing back in the 70s. Um, Those two guys have had a tremendous impact on my life and have really shaped me in a lot of ways. But when I was growing up, junior high school, Doug kind of noticed some things about me that he said might be useful in ministry. And he started to kind of clue me in that, hey, you might want to start thinking about being used by God as, as, in ministry in some way. And LD was echoing those same sentiments. And um, as a high school kid, I preached to my church. Um, but, you know, they would talk about me being in ministry, and I thought, you've got to stand up in front of people. I don't want to do that. I mean, who wants to do that? So, you know, Brett, you need to go into ministry. Brett, you need to go into ministry. I heard that all growing up. Well, I decided as a high school kid that what I needed to do was to be a computer programmer. I was going to drive a Porsche. I was going to be rich. This is back way before the PC. This is when they had old mainframes, you know, and and I was going to learn how to be a programmer on a mainframe computer. Anybody that knows me knows how laughable that is. But I went off to Northern Kentucky University and started to study and was miserable. Um, Northern was a commuter school of about 8,000 students at the time, and um at the end of my first semester, I had a one point two grade point average. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? I'll, I'll give you that. I'm a little sharper than a one point two. That's not bad though. At the end of the second semester. I had a .77 grade point average. <clears throat> .77. I got a letter from the school informing me that my academic prowess was no longer required at their institution of higher learning. It was embarrassing. The really sad thing is I went to almost every class. It's not like I cut class. I didn't. I went to every one. That's the sad part. I didn't even skip class to get that bad of a grade. But that began a spiral in my life where I just really began to search what God was going to do with me. And for a while, I just worked a job, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I remember talking to mom over the kitchen table. Brett, what do you want to do? And I I so empathize with the kids today. I've got a, a kid that's getting ready to graduate from high school and he hates the question what are you going to do right how many kids are in here and there that's the question they don't want to hear because they don't know there's so many things that we can do these days the 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 options are endless I've said for a long time the only thing worse than no choice is a choice and and I just didn't really know what I wanted to do and so I, I you know I was really in a funk I was really spiraling down I was probably depressed my mom suggested that I speak to LD, so I did. I made an appointment. LD and I came together for lunch. We went I remember we went to a steakhouse. And as he was eating his salad and his steak, I kind of poured out my life, all 18, 19 years of it, you know, LD, what am I going to do? And I kind of told him what was going on. And over his dinner, you know, he's just listening to me, and I'm just pouring myself out. He says, Something that would change my life, and when he said it, it didn't really rot my socks off, but it does today. He said, "Brett, change your attitude, change your day." I'm like, "Really? That's that's the best you got?" I just poured myself over you, out to you, and and uh, change your attitude, change your day. That's all we're going to get. Change your attitude, change your day. But honestly, great advice. I, he he said, "Brett, you really need to think about ministry." Um, I finally decided to go into ministry. I went off to Johnson Bible College, spent four of the best years of my life at Johnson Bible College, met lifelong friends, uh, got a great education. I didn't really learn how to preach. I mean, I did a little bit learn how to preach, but didn't learn so much about ministry. Sadly, you don't, that's not where you learn about ministry. You learn about ministry by doing ministry. But I had some great experiences, learned some great things, was impacted by some wonderful professors and people, and, and got out and started to work at the Reddington Christian Church in Seymour, Indiana, and have never looked back. After I did all that, L.D. and Doug shared a little something with me. They told me that when they were challenging me to go into ministry, that they began to pray for me. You want to hear the prayer? Lord, please make Brett so miserable that he has no choice but to go into ministry. Don't let him do anything else. We pray that you would just make him miserable until he comes to his senses and goes into the ministry. That's exactly what happened. So thank you, Doug and LD. Don't, don't challenge me because I will start praying for you. <laughs> LD taught me about hospital visits. He taught me how to teach people and how to treat people. He taught me how to treat a staff. The first Sunday, the first week that I interned at my home church, he brought me into his office and he said, Brett, I want to make, make you understand something. We don't use the phrase around here, that's not in my job description. He said, if, if my secretary were to ask me for a cup of coffee, I would go get it for her. She does not exist to serve me or you. She exists to do her job, and I've got a job to do. We all have jobs to do. But when it comes right down to it, we serve one another in this office. L.D. Campbell taught me how to do that. He invested in me. I'm able to do much of what I do today because of those who have gone before me. What I want to do today is I want to talk to two generations. I want to talk to the older generation. And if you're asking yourself right now, am I in the older generation, enough said. All right, that's you. I'm talking to you. And then I'm going to talk to the younger generation. As a guy that is kind of in between the two, a little closer to the the older generation than the younger generation, I want us to look at it from both sides this morning. Let's talk first to the older generation. And I really just have one thing to say to you in the older generation. I would beg you not to fear, not to judge the next generation, but to believe in them and invest in them. Find it as one of the great callings in your life to pour into the next generation. Some of you might say, well, you know, those those next generation, they're they're the church of tomorrow. No, they're not. They're the church of today. They're not on deck. They're, They're in the batter's box. We have high school kids that have big plans and dreams for God. We have high school kids that are doing ministry now. I'm talking about 11- and 12-year-olds that Ryan's working with now. He's pouring himself into them in the hopes that one day they grow up, and yes, they're going to be different than you. They're going to wear their clothes different than you. They're going to listen to different music than you. My good friend Michael Collins in Mitchell, Indiana, has a bumper sticker on the back of his van. I love it. I'm going to clean it up for church. But it says, let me get it right, no, I'm not old. Your music really is that horrible. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Their music's going to be different. Their hair's going to be different. They're going to stick things in their face and on their body that's not going to make any sense to you. They could set off metal detectors with what they're wearing now. They're going to write things on their arm and on their body and their necks and on their face now and their head. And it's going to look weird to you. You're not going to understand that. You're going to look at them. Their worship leaders are probably going to come up and worship in bare feet. They're probably all going to hell, but I mean, you know, it's. (laughs) Don't get hung up on their style. Their style is going to be different than your style. There's no question about that. We need to believe in them, we need to invest in them. One of the things that I so appreciate about this church and the elders at this church is that when I took over, they did not tell me what to do, they empowered me as a leader. They set me up to lead in security. They didn't delegate a task to me and thus create a follower. They delegated to me authority and thus encouraged a leader. They gave me freedom to make mistakes, and boy, do I know how to make mistakes. They gave me freedom to be aggressive, and they invested in me. I remember when I came to be the youth pastor here, I had just turned 30. Um, I began to look at myself a little differently when I turned 30. I stopped trying to be cool enough to be a youth pastor, and I started to focus on being real. I stopped trying to talk like the kids and dress like the kids and act like the kids, and I didn't really like their music, so it wasn't too hard to give up their music. It's much better to be real than to be cool. You can be uncool all day long. The younger generation, do you know what they want? You know what they really want? They want somebody who believes in them. They're craving somebody who will sit down and listen to them in a conversation. They're craving somebody who will look at them and say, I value your ideas. And often the reason they don't want to talk to people in the older generation is because all the people in the older generation seem to want to do for these young people is tell them how it used to be and to tell people how they ought to do things now and to give a bunch of advice without first listening to that young person to find out where they are and what they need. So to the older generation, I would say this. Be yourself. Show up. Listen. You may think that if you're older that, you know, I don't really have that much to offer. I'm kind of advanced. I, I don't have that much to, to give. Let me just tell you this. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you woke up and you fogged a mirror this morning, you still got some life in you, invested in a young person. Your age and experience are not a liability. It is your greatest asset. You are a veteran of ministry and of life. I did a search on the internet this week in preparation for the message. I googled great accomplishments after 70. I want to share some of those with you. Sophocles was 89 when he wrote Oedipus at Colonus. It's one of his most dramatic pieces. Benjamin Franklin only retired from public service when he was 82 years old. Susan B. Anthony was 80 when she formed the International Woman Suffrage Alliance. Alexander Graham Bell was 75 when he got a patent for something called the Hydrofoil Boat. Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. was reading Plato in Greek at 92. George Bernard Shaw was working on his last play, Why She Would Not, when he was 94. Robert Frost was 88 when he wrote his last volume of poems, In the Clearing. General Douglas MacArthur was 70 when given command of the United Nations Army in the Korean War. And Pablo Picasso produced 347 engravings in his 87th year. We don't know any of what he did, but, I mean, he did 387 of them, right, if you've ever seen Picasso's work. If you're not dead, you're not done. Embrace the season that you're in. I want to read to you from Psalm 71, verse 18. This is David speaking. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. In other words, give me a shot. Let me live long enough that I may encourage the next generation. God, they don't know you like I know you. They haven't done some of the things that I've been able to do. They haven't learned what you've taught me. Let me teach them. See yourself as a spiritual mother or father to the next generation. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are in front of you. Now let me talk to some of you in the younger generation. You need those who've gone before you. I want to talk to you about your challenge, and I want to talk to you about your opportunity. Dr. Tim Elmore wrote a book called The uh, Generation IY, and in it he, he talks to some researchers who who did a study on on bosses older generation bosses who are employing younger generation workers and he asked them to describe those workers and they he came back with one word kept coming up over and over and over again the word started with an e they went to some of the younger generation workers and they said your bosses have described the way you work and the way you are and and the one word keeps coming up over and over again the word begins with an e would you care to venture a guess as to what that word might be Now they're asking These 20 something kids, this question. Exceptional was a guess. Extraordinary, energetic, enthusiastic. No. What was the word? Entitled. Entitled. And let me just say it's really not your fault. (laughs) It's really not your fault. Because you grew up with your mom putting a helmet on you to send you to the bathroom, okay? Because you might get a boo-boo. How many of you remember when seatbelts were an option on a car? You remember that? You remember when the standard equipment seatbelt was your mother's forearm? You remember that? The dashboard was made out of metal, How many of you as kids rode up on that shelf behind the the back window? Do you remember doing that? How many of you, your parents had a Volkswagen and you rode in the cubby hole? Did you ever ride in the cubby hole of a Volkswagen? I remember winning little league games. We would pile the whole team into the back of the coach's pickup truck Get on the interstate to go get a Frosty after we won the game. 14 of us in the back of the coach's pickup truck. Ah! I think of the younger generation, I think two words participation trophy. You've grown up in a culture that when you play a sport, they give you a trophy. You don't have to have won anything. They give you a trophy. Our kids all played sports growing up, all the sports, you know, and and what we found was that we began to run out of room for all the trophies. You know, looking one day, I'm like, where do these trophies come from? Well, you play the sport, you get a trophy. I had one kid that played on a team that didn't win a game, not one, not one. He got a trophy that year. I was in the ninth grade before I ever got my first trophy. I wanted a trophy so bad, but I grew up in a culture where you had to earn a trophy. They didn't just give them to you. I got a trophy for coming in second place in the 88-pound division as a freshman, I might add. Do the math there. I still have that trophy. It means that much to me. You've been told you're special over and over and over again, and you've come to feel entitled. And the challenge comes when, when in life, when it comes to ministry, you feel like everything should just come easy. You think that you should have everything that those who've gone before you have. And here's the big challenge for you. You tend to overestimate what God is going to do with you in the short term. That's a big problem among the younger generation. And when you don't get it, you get disillusioned. And then you grossly underestimate what God wants to do with you in the long term. There is spiritual greatness in you. Don't get discouraged in the short term. Think bigger and bigger. Think long run. One of the problems with the younger generation is that because they've been so entitled, they usually don't know how to show honor. They don't show honor well, and it's because they don't know how. I have a son who plays in our worship band on occasion, and he's in school, and he travels, and he plays with different bands. And one of the things that I've tried to instill in him is when you serve in a worship band, you serve at the behest of that worship leader, and you honor him. And you don't do anything to take away. So I've told him, when Kyle's doing something on stage, you don't do anything to take away from that. You you don't draw attention to you. You honor the leader. I've tried to instill in him a phrase that I heard at Catalyst. I'll never forget it. It was October of 2000. And I heard Andy Stanley teach a, a room of about 2,000 people this principle. Honor publicly leads to influence privately. And I've tried to share that with Bennett so that as he works with different leaders, different worship leaders, honor publicly leads to influence privately. Honor them. And I'm not talking about fake honor. I'm not talking about giving fake honor to the older generation. These are war heroes. And I'm not talking about military wars necessarily. I'm talking about the war of life. These are war heroes. They have experiences that you don't have. They have a perspective that you don't have. They've seen things you will never see. And they do things for a reason. You may not understand everything they do. You may not understand all their values. But you don't know what it is to go through a great depression and not have anything to eat. And you don't know what it is to go through a great depression and think to yourself, a dime is a precious, precious thing. So when the older generation talks about the way it used to be, younger generation, be respectful. Look up to them. Honor them. Listen to them. They have something to tell you. And yes, they don't always see the things you see, and they don't see it the way you're going to see it. And you're going to see some things that they can't see. You're going to see a future, and you're going to see leadership differently. You're going to see organization. You're going to see church differently. And if you will learn to work together and if you will love and invest in them and them and you, and if you will honor them, all of a sudden we will see God do some amazing things among us. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is healing the sick. He's been opening the eyes of the blind. He's been raising dead people. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, which is why some scholars think that's why Peter denied Jesus three times is because he healed his mother-in-law. We can't prove that. We can't prove that. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. The word there, without honor, it's a phrase, it's, it's, it's atimos. It's how you would say that in Greek, atimos. It means without honor. It means to dishonor. It means to treat as if it's common. younger generation. Do not treat the older generation as if it is common. Look what happens next in this verse, in this text. It doesn't say that Jesus would not. We read it for ourselves. Here's what it says. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Because of a lack of faith, because of a culture without honor, he could not. Now, I don't understand that theologically, and I'm not going to touch that this morning with a 10-foot pole. I I can't explain all that to you. But the Bible says he could not do any greater miracles. He was without honor, and there was no faith. There was no faith because there was no honor. I think one of the reasons that God is using cross Lane. And blessing Cross Lane is because we try to maintain a culture of honor. When we truly honor Jesus, we will honor the authority of the leader that He has put above us. I am the I'm the pastor of the Cross Lane Community Church. In 2000, when I became the pastor, I was told that the leadership structure was going to change. They changed it. And they said, we're no longer going to be an elder-led church, we're going to be a pastor-led church. Brett, you're going to lead. In many cases, to put one person in charge of an organization, it could be a disaster. In many cases, a pastor might get drunk on the authority that he has given. I have tried to not let that happen to me. I honor my elders. And yes, I lead. I am the leader of the Lane Community Church. But I place myself under the authority of the elders. One of the ways that I try to honor Jesus is to honor those that God has put above me. If you want to learn to be over, learn to be under. Learn to be under authority, not just outwardly, but inwardly. Not just in title, but in Attitude. Learn to look at someone older than you and say, they know things I do not know. They've seen things I have not seen. They have, they have things that they can pour into my life to make me better. Be in a posture of true submission and honor. Honor publicly results in influence privately. That word honor, we, we, it's the, in Greek, that's the word timae It means to value, to respect to highly esteem, to treat it as precious. Honor lifts up, dishonor tears down. Honor believes the best, dishonor believes the worst. Honor values, dishonor devalues. A family in our church had a son that was working for the Kansas City Chiefs once upon a time, and, and at the time, Warren Moon, who is now a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, was playing for the Chiefs and and they came home from a visit to see their son one day and they walked in and, and, and put on my desk a, one of those autographed footballs. I have an autographed football from Warren Moon, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know what that football's worth, but it's worth a little something. Do you think when they handed me that football that I just tossed it to Bennett and Tanner and said, hey boys, go have a toss in the backyard? No. We got regular footballs for that. This was a special football. It gets a special place. It is in my office up high where little kids can't get to it. Because I don't want that football soiled and I don't want that football damaged. That's a special football. It's in a place of honor. It's been lifted up. There's a big difference between being respected and being honored. Respect is earned. Honor is given. Honor is freely given. You don't receive honor when you earn it. You receive honor when honor is ascribed to you. One of the things that I wish I could get the younger generation to see is that they need to honor those in authority more. When we do not honor those in authority over us, it hinders what God wants to do through us in the generations. Honor. Older generation... Invest in the next generation. Younger generation, honor those above you. Respect them. Be teachable. Be moldable. Be humble. Be hungry to learn. I'm kind of in between. Let, let me say this to, the, to those in the older generation. I, I publicly show you honor this morning. I want to I publicly honor you, and I want to honor some folks. I want to honor my mom and dad who have made sacrifices for me. I know for a fact that my mother has gone without things so that I could have stuff like baseball cleats and a ball glove. My mother has piled me in more cars than I could count to take me to a practice or a game or to take me where I needed to be. And young people, if you have a mother and a father who are putting you in a car and driving you somewhere today, would you please thank them by the end of the day for that? Would you honor them? Tell them you love them and that you appreciate them. I want to honor the ladies in this church. There are some older ladies in this church that I have known for a long, long time. And I have watched them quietly serve. And we have things around here like funeral dinners and, and different events where, where the ladies just they just have that way. They just they take care of things, they show up, they do their deal. They do it with great gentleness and kindness and service. And quite honestly, this church would not be what it is without the service of those women. Ladies, you know who you are. I honor you publicly. This church would not be what it is without you. We need you. We love you. We honor you. I want to honor L.D. Campbell and Doug Newhouse saw something in a kid and cast a vision for me to be in ministry. I want to honor Mark Cameron who's taught me what it is to be generous who's taught me how to do ministry on many occasions who has impacted my life in ways that I could never fully describe he has had a huge impact on my life. And I honor Mark Cameron this morning. I honor Bill Hybels and Andy Stanley, two guys that have taught me more about church leadership and how to share the gospel with people who are far from God than anybody else I've ever met. You probably may not even know who Bill Hybels is. Bill Hybels grew a mega church before they ever started calling them mega churches. And he didn't build the mega church because he wanted a mega church. That church grew because Bill Hybels was so good at telling people about Jesus that the church grew and grew and grew. It grew so much that people began to ask him, how are you doing that? And they started the Willow Creek Association to become a teaching tool to help the church. This church has been irrevocably shaped and formed and impacted by the Willow Creek Association in the resources and the way we've been taught and trained. Every year, I take our staff and our elders and we go every August to the leadership summit that Bill Hy- it was Bill Hybels' idea to train up leaders in the church. And we have, we have been changed as a church by the influence of a man named Bill Hybels. And some of you don't even know who he is. Andy Stanley is a guy that I look up to and I, I can say this wholeheartedly, I literally could not preach, I could not do my job without Andy Stanley. I honor those men. I honor them publicly. I want to honor Bill Weaver. You don't know Bill Weaver. You'll never meet Bill Weaver. And you're poorer because of it. Bill Weaver was the first pastor I ever worked with. I worked for him in 1986. Bill Weaver, time and time again, I saw Bill Weaver deny himself for somebody else. I saw him give up meals. I saw him pass up days off. I saw him work tirelessly tirelessly through the night. I have seen him time and time again give of himself for the betterment of somebody else. Quite simply, Bill Weaver is one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. I honor him. I want to honor the, some of the older people in this church. Long about 2000, I took over, and when I did, I changed an awful lot of things. And the older generation sometimes didn't understand it. And the older generation had kind of watched this church morph and change into something that probably, quite honestly, they didn't recognize. And I'm pretty sure they didn't like all the changes. And some of them even left. And that's okay. That's fine. They're going to a church now, I hope. And I hope they're happy. I want them to be happy. But the people that stayed, that older generation that saw us changing this church so that we could reach people for Christ and saw it change before their very eyes, you know what, they're some of the ones. We have all of what we have today because of them. They're some of the ones that stroke some of the biggest checks so that we could have the building we're sitting in now. We changed the music style, we changed the worship style, we changed the dress code, we changed everything on them. They didn't get mad and quit and run off and say, I'm not going to play ball anymore. They stuck with us because the most important thing to them was seeing people brought to Jesus. And if that was going to happen, they were going to get behind it. And if I just described you, can I just publicly honor you this morning? You have no idea how huge you've been to this church and what you mean to us and how you've modeled for us what it is to pave the way for the next generation. Finally, I want to honor the elders of this church. You simply don't know the courage that they show. You don't know how they pray for you. You don't know how selfless they are. And you don't know their passion for Jesus in this place. You don't know their sacrifice. I honor these men and women who have gone before me because those are the men and women who have knelt down so that I could get on their shoulders to be the person that I am today. And I publicly honor you. The younger generation, here's what I want to say to you. Your downside is that you're entitled. You'll get over that. You'll work through it. You'll get past it, not worried about it. You'll come into your own, and you'll grow into a, a great person, You'll get past all the entitlement. That's not a problem. Here's why I'm so excited about you. You are the most cause-driven generation we have ever seen. Coming out of Bible college, I was not thinking about clean drinking water for third world countries. That wasn't on my mind. It's on your mind. It's on your mind to care for the poor. It really wasn't. Sad to say, it wasn't on my mind coming out of Bible college. Let's go care for the poor. This is the most cause-driven generation we may ever see there's something different about you. There's something in you that aches to make a difference. That's beautiful in you. Things bother you. That's, you're, you're so cause-driven and mission-minded. I want to say to you, I believe in you. If you will come under authority, if you will become teachable, there is kingdom greatness in you. You could be the greatest generation in modern history, and I want to help you become that. I believe in you. There's kingdom greatness in you. But you know what? It's not really nearly as important that I believe in you as the fact that Jesus believes in you. God believes in you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. You are a chosen priesthood, a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a people belonging to God. Do not underestimate what God wants to do in you. And to close this message, I just want to get on my knees. And I want us to honor Christ who's taken someone like me, flawed, sinful. I've made more mistakes than I can count, and given me the opportunity to fulfill my wildest dreams and passions in being a pastor of a church. And I know that you would join me in being on your knees to give Christ thanks for the place that He's brought you to and the opportunities that he's given to you. If we could bring the generations together, there is no limit to what great things could be done in the people who could be brought to Jesus. If we would invest in the younger generation, and if the younger generation would look up to and respect and honor the older generation, would you pray with me? And, Father, now on my knees, I give you thanks. I thank you for the opportunity to serve. I thank you for the men and women who have poured into my life as a youngster to make me the man that I am today. Any good thing in me has come from your influence in the lives of other men and women who have changed me. And, Father, every one of us in this room, have people that we could look around and say, they have impacted my life. Father, would you give us a respect among the generations? Would you help the older generation to not look down upon and to not discount the younger generation? And would you help the younger generation to truly honor their elders? And Father, in the process, would you help us to become a church that does the magnificent work Of bringing people to Jesus. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.